the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Backtracking a little bit. Hiya, welcome to the USL show. Uh, your first best and, well, no, no, not the best. Just a place where you come to get USL news from a bunch of guys that have been doing it for a little bit now. Uh, I'm your host, uh, your favorite cheesemonger's favorite cheesemonger, uh, the most decorated podcaster in USL when it comes to tattoos. That's a new one. Uh, yeah, Evan Lola. Hiya, good to see you. Good to be seen. Uh, Joining me here, it's most of the gang. Uh, the mathematically dialed in Ryan Allen's here. Hey, Evan, and to give you uh, an answer on that, the flag is three by two feet. Uh, it's still too big. It's still too big. Uh, knowing what we're talking about, but abstaining from saying anything, it's Pony. Hi, Pony. Yeah, well, it's a Monday and it's been confusing and this has not done anything good for my life so far, but talking time, let's go. Has Miami done anything good for your life? Usually not. Okay. Uh, Alan Underwood's here from a from a, a chilly San Diego, California. It is very chilly, very windy. It snowed further north of here. So that's my like claim to it's actually a little bit cold. Uh, my wife's from Denver, so I know what cold is because we go there for Christmas. But still, it's just shocking when it's this cold in San Diego. Sure. Uh, and I, I don't know, maybe unofficially the third member of the of the unofficial USL stats department. If you like colorful graphs or learning about players in a way that doesn't require you to read 20,000 words, it's uh, it's John who also goes by USL Tactics on Twitter. Hi, Ed. Good to see you. Yeah, really happy to be here. Really happy to be providing lots of colorful charts all the time. Thank you. Is that Thank a Spurs you. scarf I see in the background? Come oh, on, boy, here we go. There's another one. Yes, hey. it is. Got to wrap it. Uh, okay, he sounds like Ryan. I, I have <laughs> not <laughs> You're here on my debut podcast coming in like Danny Rose from a distance. Bang and goal. Why, why are all of you Spurs fans? Every single one of you is a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Phil I'm needs not. to be here. Because on paper they look really good, so like as a stats person, they, oh, they're really cool. enticing. I like it. Yeah. Okay. It's the it's the trendy mathematicians pick. Okay. I think that's Brentford. So you know. Yeah. Sure. Hey. Uh, I guess because we got set up for it, uh, Hartford Athletic really wish they were an English team. Um, as they've announced, and and I think initially a lot of people thought, well, what does that do for the deal with Southampton? Don't worry, that one's not going anywhere. So you know, you Mad Hat massive fans who have your your Southampton scarf that you bring to you with every game uh, with your Hartford Athletic scarf, you can keep that one. But uh, Leighton Orient now also affiliates with Hartford um, in a kind of strange move, but it, it's happening. I mean, I think this is good. One scarf, two scarf, three scarfs, a lady. Yeah. 
I mean, to me, this is this is only a good thing. I mean, there's no way you could say that the more USL teams are going to reach out to English sides or maybe other European sites. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, maybe you have Leighton Orient send over people who get mediocre playing time and move on from there and don't build up. But at least to me, the the I don't want to say gold standard, but the really solid one is what's gone on between Orange County and Rangers. And if Leighton Orient sees that and goes, oh, wow, that works. And then we start seeing more of these things play forward. I mean, right now, if this was a game between these two teams, would you say Leighton Orient wins clearly? I mean, I think this is going to be, these are two equally matched teams. It's just different, different leagues, different competitions where if Leighton Orient sent over a lot of their good guys. I don't think they're going to be clearly the best players in the USA. And if we, sent players back over or what happened where we have a weird spot where Leighton Orient signs a player from the U.S., like what happened with Rangers again, I think it's going to be equal. I don't think this is that absurd of a split. I think it's just going to be a thing where players who would otherwise not get a chance to play in a top tier or get to play period now have a chance. And if this is what happens for the most part, this is good for not only USL teams, but also maybe League One or League Two or whoever are going to have these players because it's, I don't want to say it's a, a, it's a development league, but it's a league for players to prove themselves. And the more players can prove themselves, the better all, all parties are going to be. Mm-hmm. Because someone could say, hey, look, I'm a good player and chuck it out. Here's the proof. Everyone, everyone benefits, and I think that's what this is. This is the everyone benefit solution. I mean, it certainly couldn't hurt having the partnership with Leighton Orient. It's uh, just kind of more getting your kind of name out there. And honestly, the fact that Leighton or that Hartford has a partnership with two English clubs is impressive and they have more partnerships with clubs outside their nation than some MLS teams have with partnerships mm-hmm. within USL. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is in part because Harry Watling's their coach. Um, if I, I don't know, like if Hartford becomes a, uh, I don't even want to say weird anymore, but if, if it, works out that they're kind of a, a stepping stone for younger or I don't know, looked over English players to get some reps and get some minutes and, and get some attention on them. And they're just doing that from the East coast of the United States, about as East as they can get. Um, then, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fine. Um, I, it's a little strange to be partners with two clubs in two different leagues within the same system in England, I, like that was the part that was kind of confusing to me. But from a, like a Hartford standpoint, if I can swing that, then it doesn't matter to me at all. Like the more players I have in my pool of of people that I can get in from affiliates, you know, like a like a, a weird C rate like City Football Group or, or Red Bull kind of vibe, then I guess I'll be fine with that. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just a little strange to, to be partnered with Southampton, who's a, uh, a large club that a lot of people know, and then Leighton Orient, which is not one that necessarily like pops to mind for a lot of people. And I say that as someone that wore Leighton Orient kit on this show like uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true. But at the same time, I, to me, you have to go for the Leighton Orient kids. If they have a choice of saying you're going to go play in the National League or mm. lower on loan, or you're going to go play in the USL, who's going to take National League? No one's going to do that. They're, this is a good chance to prove themselves. And if what happened with uh, Orange County does the same thing for Leighton Orient, I mean, this is a great pipeline for Leighton Orient for their kids to say, we're going to put ourselves on a big stage and say, yes, I'm good enough, as opposed to, oh, yeah, I'm going to play in this lower league with the kind of this – the above average people who play in the park and yeah, there's these 40 year olds who also do whatever. And it's, it's a way to say I'm good enough and prove they're good enough. And to me, I think it's going to be interesting to see who comes out ahead. Will it be, will it be Hartford who gets some few good kids and maybe takes a step up above where they should be? Or is it going to be Leighton Orient who goes, well, I just proved this kid who we thought might be a prospect in the future. Cause no, they are good enough. I think that's going to be the big question of who comes out ahead. And both teams, the what if they come out ahead, that's really impressive because either one has a lot of ambitions. And if they win, they win big. So Leighton Orient is currently ninth in uh, League Two at the moment, uh, two points off a playoff spot. You have to you played them in Football Manager 2021. Mm-hmm. And I think if you compare to, say, like what um, the Charleston Battery were doing, sending Leland Archer over to train with, I think it was Hibbs or something yep. like that, getting that exposure in a city. I mean, Leighton Orient is based in London. So just having that international experience at a more established footballing culture can't be harmful for what Hartford's trying to do. And with the sort of pseudo English connection that they really fostered in their early years. Yeah. Especially at least to me, if you think USL championship is somewhere between good in league one to bad in league two is that's what they are to me, at least to me where I say that's where they're going to end up. Yeah. The best teams are going to be league one teams in the playoff range. The worst teams are going to be bad league two teams. are going to back down a level, but there's a lot of potential here. And if you could actually cash in on that, and you could do it consistently, this is one of the best things the UF team could do. Alan, any thoughts? Uh, no. Great. Um, I, I will say, if I'm Hartford, I'm a little worried. Uh, Nicholas Murray's favorite team is Cambridge United, who are in first, but in the same league as Leighton Orient. So, I, you know, I would tread lightly in the off-season meetings if I was... I was hard for you, the athletic. And that was a reference for about 20 people, um, <laughs> as normally is the case. Uh, anyway, now he'll, he'll, I mean, he'll like that one. So that's all that matters. As long as we stay in good graces of the right people here, it doesn't matter what we do. Um, hey, speaking of not mattering what we do, uh, the season format sort of ish came out. Um, we have a, 
<laughs> we have a we have a start date of May first, but apparently clubs can start playing anywhere from the twenty fourth of April to the fourteenth of May. Uh, it's going to be thirty two games over twenty seven weeks, and then I think what we're going to spend our, our most of the time talking about this on is it's uh, four groups, three groups of eight, one group of seven, and then allegedly, um, according to Jeff Reuter of The Athletic, Tulsa and Oklahoma City are going to take up the St. Louis mantle of moving to the Eastern Conference. Uh, rest in peace, St. Louis. So, um, how do we feel about the groups, and why do we want to see FC Tulsa lumped in with the, uh, like, Southeast? I, I mean, I think it makes me, sense. You already have unbalanced world for... Go for it. You have, an unba- you have an unbalanced West versus East now, which has not necessarily been the case. Usually it's a more East dominant as far as teams. Um, the West kind of writes itself as far as conferences go if you want to get 8-8 eight to eight or 8-7. Eight and seven. Um, It's essentially like, where do you want to put Phoenix Rising? Do you want to put yeah. them in that Four Corners Cup Copa Tejas group, or do you want to put them on the West Coast, where you have the you know the traditional matchups with OC, kind of the budding rivalry with San Diego, um, just kind of where you want to put them. And I think you can make an argument for either side. It's the East that gets the most interesting with how you're going to group those groups together, because there's not really a clean North-South. There's not a, quite a clean East-West. Uh, you want to maintain some traditional rivalries to make it interesting. Um, I think it makes sense to move Oklahoma as opposed to like maybe one or two of the Texas teams. Because, uh, again, I think that Copa Tejas group uh, really drives eyes and drives interest. So I think if you start with where the West is, it just makes sense. Like These are the two teams that are kind of left out. But then where do you put them? Do you put them... Um, I kind of looked at it north-south, but then there's some interesting matchups that get left out of that. Um, but I think the east is the the least predictable. The west is pretty flip a coin, um, real, uh, like a phoenix rising going group one, group two. Uh, I think the rest is you could make some pretty pretty fun arguments for the east coast. I mean, I think yes, but no. I mean, the, the West, I mean, you have Phoenix, you have Sacramento, you have San Diego, and is anyone else going to be good? I mean, those are the teams you go, like, those are the elite sides to me, at least out in the West. And I think one of the weird questions, at least to me still, is what is Vegas doing? Because they, I think, have, have had, like, one signing, and that was, like, a add-on clause. Yeah. I mean, if there's a team who is currently not dropped out of the championship, who is going to drop out. I think Vegas is the favorites because they don't have a team. They have a player or two. They have, they have like half a team. And it's just, I don't know what they're going to do. And I want them to stay because Vegas is just this chaotic, chaotic neutral team who we, we make fun of every week and they do this weird stuff every week. And, they drop money out of helicopters because they're Vegas. But if they can't have a team or if they don't have a team, why would they subject themselves to it? It's just Vegas is Vegas. And I want to see what happens with them really. But if there's a team that's going to drop out, it's going to be them. And that just throws everything else into chaos because if Vegas is gone into league one, well, that means what about like 
the Real Monarchs? Are they going to go on the West West Coast or same with Phoenix? Are they going to go to the West West Coast? And it gets confusing. I think that's the biggest question for how this league breaks down is does Vegas play? And right now, I don't have any crystal ball. I don't have any good inside contacts in Vegas. But to me, no, because they haven't announced anybody. How do you not announce anyone a few months before the season? It just seems like you're asking for a bad year or you're asking to have an understaffed year or any of those things. And none of those are good. And they're all going to hurt you in the long run because if your team is just bad, who's going to come to it the next season? No one's going to, you have to pay someone more than they're worth to actually say, make us good, make us good team again. But we'll see. I mean, Vegas is, well, well, Vegas is Vegas. Vegas is, chaotic. Vegas is I mean helicopter money drops. That's what Vegas is known for in this league. As bad as that is. I think you can say the same thing about Memphis. Out East too mm-hmm. has two players. I mean combined they've got three people signed and like all three of them were just options that were picked up. It's really concerning yeah. to see when yeah, you get things like out of the blue with North Carolina last week. Yeah. I mean, you really don't know what's going to happen with the Maybe Vegas is waiting for Dave Sarakan to be available. <laughs> Just Vegas plays Memphis next month. Winner uh-huh. sees that loser goes down. Yeah. Also it, really might be, it might be teams kind of waiting for when the schedule is going to start and seeing if they can bring fans in before they make a decision if it's viable or not. I mean, Essentially, right now, it feels like it's the season's right around the corner because usually, you know, this is the time of the year we start right. ramping up. We start talking about preseason. But if the season's not going to start till May, like why sign guys to that you might have to pay for three months before you even start playing? Um, you might want to wait to sign some of those contracts with guys that you know you're probably going to get um, until closer to the season starting. Um, that's what I'm hopeful. That's my hopeful. Putting that out to the universe, trying to make that happen. But I think you're right. There are some teams that are still question marks, but if, you know, the rumblings around that it's, you know, eight and eight, three groups of eight and a group of seven, like everyone seems like they're moving forward, ready to go. Um, but maybe there's kind of holding off till closer to the season starts. So maybe they don't have to pay some people as much. And it's not. Un- go ahead. Go for it. No. I was just saying, it's I was shady, just gonna, I'm going to say it's not unheard of for USL to, Teams to wait until closer to the season to announce who's going to be on the roster. Oftentimes we've seen it with MLS two teams in the past. Loudon's one that comes to mind that they wait and they wait until a week before the season begins before they say, Hey, here's the rest of our roster. Not just who's like played in the preseason friendlies or who we think is going to be sent down to the team. Yeah, it just strikes me as like obviously with Loudon, it's one thing, but when you have a club like Vegas who is sort of chaos personified as a team and they're doing nothing in terms of personnel, it just rings a little warning bell. But that's definitely like a really viable thing for them to just say, Hey, here's a dozen guys we've signed two weeks before the season starts. Yeah, I think it needs to be one of those things where they need to figure this out sooner rather than later because the USL championship as a whole they can't not know who their teams are a day before the league starts because they have to figure out a schedule, figure out travel, all these things. So 
I have to feel they know if the kids are going to play or not, at least probably at this point in time. Otherwise, they're just asking for trouble. I don't, I mean, I love to know them to say yes, it's for sure, but until the schedule is out, none of us know. And that's kind of an issue because we need this not only as us as fans say, we're going to do this, this, and this, but I mean, just Vegas as players. I mean, I went through this with Roger last time we talked, where it's like, the, you need to know as a player if you're going to have a job. If you're not going to mm-hmm. have a job, you need to look for a new job. And if, I mean, I they, they have to be telling your players, we're going to play in the USL Championship or we're not going to be there next year. But I haven't seen a clear communication from Vegas to the fans to say it's going to be one or the other. And that needs to happen now almost i mean it needs to happen very very soon or you're gonna potentially alienate the fans who go yeah we're gonna be a championship team we're gonna be a championship team and they go oh we're not well that's gonna piss off all your fans if you're gonna say right. no we're not a month before the season starts so well, let's see this one way or another from like an operational standpoint too and i think john this is where you can definitely back up this statement like yeah, there's a lot of guys that haven't been signed yet, or there's a lot of, like, Chandler Hoffman's a big one out there that hasn't, well, I mean, when the league is teasing, well, where's Chandler Hoffman going to go? He's probably, he's somewhere. Um, like, <laughs> like I always say, when a league is tweeting about a, a transfer rumor, it's done. Um, so, who knows? But, point being, there's a lot of guys that are out there still that teams – are being proactive towards um, and and to be biased and just because I talked to him earlier this morning, like Colorado Springs is a good example of a team that's being a little bit more proactive and signing guys that you wouldn't necessarily put there in years past. I don't even care like when Vegas or when Memphis or when Loudon or when Union 2 would sign players in like February 28th and they'd be like, here's 18 people. Um, the problem with that is you're not going to get what a lot of people would consider the best guys at those positions or people that would make you a competitive team that would be fun to watch that would bring fans if they're allowed to your games. And I think more than anything else, like that's what bothers me about like these teams that are just like radio silent about anything, even to the point where like, I don't think either Vegas or Memphis have a coach right now. And and so maybe in a way that's been good for some of these other teams to pick up guys that you wouldn't expect to to go where they're at. But I mean, it's I don't know. It's it's a very it's another strange year for transfers. No, definitely, and I think there's also the added factor of um, when you think about like St. Louis dropping out, and that's a whole roster of players available. Same with Reno. North Carolina, as far as I know, hasn't announced any players who have come back and you've right. seen a couple of players exit. There are a lot of talented players out there who you'd figure once there's a little bit more certainty are going to get snatched up. Mm-hmm. And League One's starting to make their signings as well. Yep. Well, and Alan, do you think that having at least a general start date of that like weird late April to mid-May, like is that going to put pressure on? Is that going to start encouraging teams, I guess, to go out and say, hey, we're not sure when we're going to play, but camp starts 
this date and we want you here. Uh, I, I think it does a little bit. I would also hanker to bet that a team like Vegas um, is maybe betting that waiting for player announcements till it's closer to the season starts tries to build that momentum into kind of making people excited to go. Like that's the other thing we're thinking about. Like you announce all the players now. All right, now I'm waiting from February through April with no no, no more player announcements, no right, real right. schedule announcements. Where's the hype like, coming from? Yeah, in especially like a team like Vegas who is who lives off of oh, hype, gosh. I think. Um that that might be a, a strategic move of theirs to wait until everyone's kind of settled and then they're the only ones making some player announcements to drive some of the traffic to, you know, their team, drive some traffic to the stadium, make some fans excited. Cause I mean, right now, if you make a player announcement in Vegas in three weeks from now, is anyone really going to remember? Um, it, it just might be a, a strategic approach with some of these teams to wait a little bit longer and kind of slowly let some of these people out. Um, knowing that they're probably not going to get scooped by an athletic on a, you know, a, an average signing, whether, I mean, if you're going to sign a big name player, those things are going to get scooped. People are going to make announcements. You got to announce those fast, but if you're Vegas or maybe Memphis who are signing kind of that average player, you're probably not going to get scooped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the rush of letting some of these names out? If you know that you can kind of, you're already dealing with maybe a half stadium and you really want to drive some support in March, April, leading up to that date. Maybe there's a, a strategic approach to when you announce player signings um, for some of these teams. Um, I'm like, I'm like Vrugasol. I want to now, but. Right, right. Um, that was good. But that I can good. understand. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Why, why did you know that? Okay. Um, Hey, uh, speaking of wanting things now, um, uh, this is such a weird story. Douglas Zimmerman did us the pleasure of writing about um, a a civil complaint that was filed in Alameda County uh, about a week ago of uh, the former founder and club president of Oakland Roots is suing everyone on the board of the club right now to be on the board and take, I'm sure it's the guy who thought he forced him out and then he's going to throw his dad on the board. It's if there's a lot happening here and it's stupid to be honest. Um, I I really don't know how any of this holds up in court because it seems like it's a lot of, they said one thing and then did the other. And there was a lot of backroom dealings. But the problem was that like, the Oakland roots are at like, no one really cares about your ownership level when all this happened. So I doubt anyone really kept records. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if anyone else read this. It's actually, it's a, I mean, it's a really well-written story. I don't mean to throw uh, Doug under the, the bus about the writing or anything. It's just such an outlandish thing and I can't wrap my head around it and I couldn't find any of the court filing. So I don't know how much weight's behind any of this. Um, that being said, uh, really, uh, not great time for Oakland. Who's focusing on like, you know, starting a season in a new league and making a pretty big impact when they've done pretty much like at least outwardly, apparently everything else, right. To this point, uh, to get kind of embroiled in this weird legal ish battle. Uh, so we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, that's my... It feels to me like something stupid that's not going to matter. But, you know, it's court, so who knows? But yeah. I guess this is one of those sequential... This is dumb, and no one cares about it a year from now, and we move on. In most cases, just kind of pay him off and say, hey, here's X money. Yeah, let's take it away. I mean, I've seen all of Succession, so I know I'm <laughs> I mean, it's just, I think it's one of those things where, you know, people make business moves, and then someone gets pissed off, and anyone can sue anyone. Yep. So, I mean, a lawsuit doesn't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it does, like, I think it, there's a little blip there for Oakland Roots who seem to be doing everything right to have something like this pop up. But I think it's something that they can recover from really nicely if they just continue to do what they've been doing uh, with the goodwill in the community, uh, the social outreach, the social justice stance, the the sick um, player of... Yeah, it's just like the the things that people are going to be like, ooh, flashy lights, it's cool, distract me from this. Like the only people who really care about this are like the nerds like us who read every article about every USL club ever. Uh, I think if you walk down the street and talk to any like regular just American soccer fan, they're going to be like, what? No, no one cares. (laughs) But, you know, it is a story and it might have some impact on the team going forward. uh, But I think they've built up enough goodwill that this is – you know, one of those things where people are going to look past it. Yeah, they've sort of been the kings of good PR so far in terms of building up and trying to become a bigger, more professional outfit. Mm-hmm. And so to have this guy come in and talk about literally secret agendas to squeeze him out just rings a little bit hollow when, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but... Doesn't doesn't sound like the most sane thing that we've heard in the last couple of months. To be fair, um, it'd be an interesting question. In the like next five years, who is Oakland more like? Are they going to be more of a Sacramento, San Diego, or are they going to be more like the more like a Reno or something like that, who kind of falls apart due to weird pressures? I mean, are they? It's just going to hurt them in the long run, or it's going to be a who cares? It's a joke ten years from now. Because I can actually see him going both ways. That's interesting. Okay. Hmm. I mean, hopefully it's it's the it's the second one. Uh, yeah. And then oh the the other one USL sort of well there's there's two but one I, we know a little bit more about than the other one. Uh, apparently we're close again with CBA. Um, I want to say that's almost largely in part due to the fact that the MLS is close to a new CBA and those two things are not, uh, you know, exclusive of each other. There's a little bit of overlap there. Um, but, you know, it's good news. Uh, as they are prone to do, the the USL Players Association is rather uh, quiet, which, uh, you know, we heard about that from... Uh, from Connor Tobin last year. So we understand his methods and ways of going about his business. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if they're close to an agreement and, and there's going to be a, a, a mid ground and they actually sign their first CBA, um, that'd be great. I don't think anyone here is going to have much to say other than please do that. That would be cool. 
Um, so we'll move on a little bit. Uh, the USL is trying to start a women's league again, which has been like an on and off thing for them for the last three years. Um, this one apparently being a pro-am league that's going to launch in 2022. Um, yeah, I, I'd be very okay with that, to be fair. Um, someone needs to put a team in Philadelphia, please. But, It'll be interesting to see what 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 role this plays in the women's soccer ecosystem. Yes. Um, I'm if not an does. expert on on Woso, um, so I will leave that to. There's a plenty of people who are much more qualified to talk about it. Yes, and um, I know that protagonist has brought some folks in to focus on that. Uh, so I won't be that bearded white hipster dude who talks about women's soccer like I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I I am very curious to see kind of where in the landscape this all lands. Um, I'm rooting for it to be a positive thing. I know there's a lot of push um, in San Diego for a women's team now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of where this ends up in the landscape. Um, I'm I know I'm excited. But I'm also uh, very ignorant when it comes to the ins and outs of women's soccer at a lower level. So um, I will, I'll, ju- I'll just fanboy it a little bit. Yeah, I know at least. Um, and it's the same deal with me where I couldn't tell you all the ins and outs, nor would I pretend that I can. But for the longest time, Indy and their stadium push talked about getting a women's outfit in terms of just filling the stadium for events and getting that public money. So to have something like this, where it's not the investment level of an NWSL team, but you're still developing the game and getting something that's a net positive for what you're trying to do for the men's team. I don't see how it's anything but a plus, but again, I'm ignorant to the subject and I'm not going to claim otherwise. So we'll move on. And I think we'd be remiss to bring on John, who's been busy the last two months blowing people's minds with talking about every signing and like knowing about all these people. Um, I won't narrow you down to one because that would be a little bit too harsh and putting you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, And they don't have to be like over the off season as a whole. It can be like recently, but is there like three guys that you're really intrigued by that have popped up in new places? Yeah, I, I mean, there are the names that everyone knows. Like, you've got the Francois and Speedy Williams to Miami sorts of things, Junior Flemings. I did just want to focus on a couple that maybe slipped under the radar a little bit. I really liked the business that New Mexico has been doing this offseason. You had the whole thing with Wien going to um, Orange County and sort of threw things up in the air. They ran, I mean, systematically, they sort of ran with a 3-4-3. He was really a winger forward type who's a big offensive presence for them. And so they bring in Sergio Rivas and Isidro Martinez, who are really two more active midfielders, get box-to-box, put in tackles, but give you that sort of creative thing. So I think New Mexico might be looking to change things up, and they've brought in some excellent, talented midfielders to help them do that. Don't know if anyone knows much. I mean, Rivas is more of a known quantity. I think Martinez definitely flew under a little bit playing with uh, Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some of the yeah, some of the clips of him, really good defensive midfielder. And I, I think like New Mexico, you know, for for as good as they've been, and for as maybe I don't know, frustrated as as. 
I don't know, I would be if, if I was at that club or, or what have you, that like a couple of my pretty good players got poached by teams with more money um, in, in the Western Conference. Like, tactically, it seems like they need to do something just a little bit different to get them kind of into that next gear uh, or, or in that next kind of realm. They're a consistently very good club. Um, but I think there may be one or two pieces and, and, you know, their recent additions might be those guys to get them into that next level of being a great club. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you think about them identity wise, it's the press. They're going to press the heck out of you, win the ball, really counterattack. And so to have these guys who are dynamos in the midfield is going to be a big plus for them in my eyes. Um, just to reference a couple other things, San Diego hasn't done a ton of business recently, but they really got some good uh, moves done early in the year. I know USL website just um, featured Herzog with a statistical thing today. They've been coming in with the radars recently, which isn't I'm taking as a compliment. But um, they added Jack Blake, they brought in Herzog, and then they poached Nikhazel uh, from uh, Pittsburgh. So if you think about that run that they had at the end of last season where they were practically unbeatable for the last eight, nine matches with that back three with Greenspan and Zizzo, I mean, complementing that perfectly. And then you had Rubio Rubin, who's getting the chance in MLS, and Alejandro Guido. So they've really brought in these like-for-like sort of players who I think at least are going to keep up these high performance levels. I mean, Jack Blake is one of the consummate midfielders in USL, has been for years. So, no, I mean to me, yes, absolutely, yes. I was actually going to bring that for for them. Like, a, San Diego is one of my teams who have got so much better for those three players you just mentioned. Like that, those are players who start on almost every single USL team. I mean, you're not talking about somebody. Who, well, maybe in this scenario, like no, every USL team would be happy to have any of those three guys start for them. Same with San Diego. San Diego's got so much better. It's mm-hmm. one of those teams that I go like, no, they're. I mean, I I thought last time San Diego showed up in the playoffs. They completely should have made the playoffs, and they are better this year. San Diego is a team who, it's good. They are seriously good. I mean, people don't people underestimate them all the time, and I think Saint San Diego, San Diego's top ten team. That's not a hot take. I don't think that's a hot tag. San Diego is one of the best 10 teams in the league this year. And it'll be interesting to see how they back it up. Same with like Miami, where last year we go, oh, Miami is good. And then they just burst into flames immediately and fall, fell apart. But, you know, again, Miami feels like, again, Miami this year, they're better. They're better than last year. They should be better than last year. They should be a playoff team. Same with San Diego. Same with, like, we were talking all the other teams. Their teams have got so much better on paper, but the problem is the year has been weird for odd reasons that we all are used to at this point. But I think a lot of this thing is going to be who, who, I guess, navigated this weird off season better than anyone else. And if teams are, if teams could actually navigate it well. They're in a better spot than anybody anybody else is. So I want to see who saw, well, we're not going to be able to play a lot of games and 
the offseason, who are the analytics? Because this is the analytic offseason. People like, I guess, like me and Ryan and tactics, John. <laughs> but I, was like, I just don't use tactics, so, you know, whatever. But I think the people who are like us and say, these are the good people who are undervalued for whatever reason. I think the big winners of this offseason are going to be who found those guys. Hmm. And I'm interested to see who actually did and who laid into the analytics and said, you know what, we're going to take this gamble and turn it into, you know what, we turned this, just this weird push into one of the best players and one of the best teams. And guess what? We're a championship contender. And there's going to be well, at least one who said, you know what, we're going for it and hit a home run. And that's what I wanted. Those are the guys who I want to talk to in the offseason, the ones who go, we're going for it. We we did everything we wanted to. And you know what? Our tactic said this. It came true. And guess what? We proved that we are a good team. We proved we have analytics. We proved we are valuable. And you know what? Let's move forward. Yeah, yeah San Diego turned some of those loanies into some signings, which is nice. Uh, their biggest question mark is still the goalkeeper. Can they find someone like who really um, – did a lot in that mid part of the season to keep them in games. Can they find someone of that caliber uh, that they can bring in? And maybe that's another loan. Um, but that's, you know, kind of a question mark uh, with around San Diego. Uh, we've been promised some new signings coming up. Uh, so there may be some, some excitement coming out. We've been promised a keeper for a while. Um, that's kind of the joke in San Diego right now is when you can announce the keeper. And I think they've been stringing it along. Um, uh, but John, is there are there teams that you're looking at signings that teams are going to have to retool their tactical setup and kind of change the the character of the team? Or are you seeing teams kind of this is our identity and we're trying to find pieces to fit into that identity? Yeah, in terms of switching things up, I think we might see some changes out of Phoenix. They really championed a sort of positional play possession style where when they had the ball, you had this fluid front five and uh, Kevon Lambert jumping down basically between the center backs. Well, now you've got Aiden Quinn into the equation who plays a very similar role, who can't play in that sort of fluid bombing upfield, a number 10-ish position. And so as they move into the double pivot, more of a 4-2-3-1, more of a familiar shape to a lot of people, how do they negotiate that? And then with Flemings out the door on a permanent basis, does Santi Moar continue to play out on the wing? Does he move centrally? Uh, Stanton is gone. And they've run in some really interesting players to fill out that attacking line. Uh, you saw Prince Sadie come in from Miami, who put up some pretty gaudy uh, dribbling stats, but really didn't have a ton of end product. And then Arturo Rodriguez in from uh, League One and the FC Dallas North Texas setup, who for, I think he was league MVP two years ago down a level. And he's just an excellent bright talent who I'd really like to see get some time. But it's going to be a changed character for them. They're, I think they're going to dominate the ball a little bit less, maybe play more of a countering attacking style. And you've seen Declan win and uh, Toby Adewole, who I thought was excellent with St. Louis. So more change than you would expect for a team that's been so successful for a couple of years. But I'm rather bullish on uh, what Shantz is going to be doing with them. Bullish on Sean's. That's a shocker. 
I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people would be. I mean, you bring in those players, and he's got to have a tough time finding places for them to play. But he's been consistently good at um, changing things up and identifying strengths of the players to put them in the best position. I think that's why the Phoenix has been so consistently good in the league and a very large payroll. And you can guarantee that you're going to make it pretty far into the playoffs. And then in terms of another team who I think, (laughs) in terms of another team that I think has done a really good job of retooling and maybe trying to fit players more to their style, um, Colorado Springs certainly pops to mind, bringing in the new manager who I'm sure we're familiar with. And then a couple of the signings that um, Jose Francisco Torres, for one, pops out in the midfield. I mean, USMNT caps there. And he's really good at just retaining the ball, keeping possession. This was a team that tried to keep the ball a lot last season. And they had a really low percentage of their passes that were long. So they were trying to play short, play through teams. And they just weren't good at it. They had really poor possession numbers despite those stylistic choices. So getting someone with that pedigree is useful. And they've also built up the center back core a lot with Oxford, Mahoney, and then Tristan Hodge today, mm-hmm. who all three of them are very capable passers out of the back who can just aid in that style a lot. So, again, bullish on them. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a team who's going to be the most improved this year, it's Colorado Springs. I don't think you could pick anyone else. I mean, at least to me, like, they are so much better than they were last last year and I want to see how good they do this year. I mean, it's going to be great, but they're going to be, I think if they're not a playoff team, that's a failure for them. It's they, they can't go from what they were last year, with all their signs to another missed off season. Hmm. This is the playoff year for Colorado Springs. Well, and I mean, they I have, think they're short in the end product, but yeah, I don't know what you, well, I mean, and they have three years of, of, Brendan Burke. Uh, he said earlier that he's there for a three-year deal. Um, and so I think you add in him not coaching last year anywhere. You add in uh, he just brought in Stephen Hogan, who happens to be his brother-in-law. Um, and then you have all these signings where it's like, yeah, you know, Mahoney's there. He said Michi Galina was in fact his first signing. Um, and then he called John Hackworth and said, who are you probably going to let go that you really like? It was Jimmy Oxford. So they're approaching their transfers a lot differently than I think we've seen Colorado Springs do in years past. And, and knowing that core group of guys they brought in now who are all incredibly successful in their own right. Like I don't think any of Oxford Mahoney or um, even Tristan Hodges have like missed the playoffs in USL. Um, there's expectations for them, and especially with a new stadium and all these shiny new toys in Colorado Springs. They need to make the playoffs. And I think those guys are so competitive by themselves that no one needs to tell them that. I think if, if they don't make the playoffs, they're probably more pissed off than, than ownership would be at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting, interesting uh, group to start bringing in. For sure. Zach Zandy's another one where he's 23, 24 now, but I don't think we really know enough about how good he can be because he was trapped with 16-year-olds last year. 
Uh, yeah, they're the best team they've been in maybe the last three. And they years. haven't even kicked a ball yet. <laughs> well, we saw it last year with Miami, where we thought they were going to be good, and then they just Miami'd it. Is that going to be a new verb, miami it? Well, if the season-long pick comes anything to go off of, or, uh, and we have a chance to defend our title again. Yep. Five people better than one. Who knew? Just pick the, just pick the good team every week and we win. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that easy. Really not that difficult. Really not that difficult. Uh, John, we'll let you plug yourself if you need to, if you want to. Yeah, I've been getting lots of RTs from um, the USL show account, but at so, USL Tactics, yeah, I mean, basically anytime there's a signing where I know the player exists, I can plug them into my fancy little spreadsheet and push out a chart with the statistical radar, get a little bit of a profile on them. I watch way too much of USL, so I'm familiar with a lot of these guys, and I have thoughts on how they fit with these systems. So, yeah. That works That's out. Good stuff. I'm so glad that you fell into this niche. Uh, and by glad, I mean I'm really apologetic. <laughs> Sorry. We all no, I've been, I've been, I do want to say I've been a listener of the pod for a while. I think you guys do great work, and I'm excited to be here. And we're glad to have you. Don't be a stranger. Come back. If we didn't, if we didn't scare you off too hard. Um, yeah, if you want to give us a follow at the USL show, we got uh, this is going to drop obviously because you'll be hearing it. There's an interview with, uh, with Brendan Burke coming uh, probably like Wednesday this week, um, and then uh, probably um, one or two other interviews in the works. One of them's not terribly a secret if you've followed us on Twitter at the USL show because you know who I'm trying to get, and I'm now lined up to do that, so that'll be exciting. Um, yeah, other than that, thanks to uh, Icarus FC, uh, my good friends in Philadelphia, and Roughneck Scars for sponsoring this. Always a huge thanks to the Beautiful Game Network Podcast, uh, Carson Merck, Mark, Mike Sparks, all those wonderful people who do a lot of work behind the scenes to get this to you. Um, and until then, yeah, feel free to DM us, get on our mentions, ask us questions, tell us that we're terrible, whatever you need to do to get you through the week. And uh, yeah, we have one more here. Don't be a dick. See you soon. Thank you.